This episode of the King's Hall Podcast is brought to you by Premier Body Armor, Defined Benefit Partners, Private Family Banking, Squirrely Joe's Coffee, The Family Captain, and by our supporters at Patreon.com. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. Genesis 26, 17 and 18. In a sermon about this passage, the great 20th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones spelled out the need for revival and reformation in the church. Swallowed up by humanism, psychology, worldly philosophy, and evolutionary theory, the church had lost the life-giving water of the preached word of God. As a result, the church had grown more impotent than ever. The decline of the church meant the decline of Christendom. And of course, Lloyd-Jones had pastored in London through the bombings of World War II, in the dying hours of the British Empire, as the last great bastion of Christendom breathed its last and sank into the pages of history. His church was struck by German air raids. Worse than bombings, however, Lloyd-Jones recognized the cancerous, humanistic teachings that had eroded people's faith in the historic church. A dark spell lay over the West. It wasn't simply that enemies lobbed bombs from the skies. Much more significant was the cancerous rot destroying the church from within. What was to be done? Was all hope truly lost? Like Isaac, Lloyd-Jones said the key was going back to the past and redigging the wells of Abraham. While the church was obsessed in his time, just as much as our own, with trying to find novel solutions from psychology or business or the entertainment industry, Lloyd-Jones said the solutions to the church's problems were to be found in the careful study of the scriptures and church history. Every time you find a great period of reformation and restoration in church and civilization, you will also find a rediscovery of ancient truths. Lloyd-Jones writes, I would like to lay it down as a principle that there is great value in reading church history and a study of the past. And nothing, surely, is more important for us at this present time than to read the history of the past and to discover its message. I suggest that we should do so for the very reasons which impelled Isaac to dig again the wells which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. It is very foolish to ignore the past. The man who does ignore it and assumes that our problems are quite new and that therefore the past has nothing at all to teach us, is a man who is not only grossly ignorant of the scriptures, he's equally ignorant of some of the greatest lessons of secular history. Yet I think you will agree, that is the mentality that is governing the outlook of the vast majority at the present time. The basic assumption is that our problems are new, that they are quite unique, and that the church and the world have never been confronted by such problems before. Every time you get one of these great and glorious and mighty periods of reformation and revival, you will find that in every instance, it seems to be a returning to something that the church had obtained before. Every time the church has been revived, she is going back to something that had happened before, rediscovering and finding this ancient supply. There's nothing I know of that is more striking in the history of the church than that principle." End quote. In season one of the King's Hall podcast, we took the axe to many of the temples to false idols that have been erected within the walls of the church. Revivalism and decisionism, the big, fast, and famous growth model, whiteness and proxy wars, the plastic sword of Christless conservatism, among others. In season two, we've talked at length about fatherhood and its central importance in restoring Christendom from the smallest, most atomic foundations. 
But now we're making a transition from fatherhood to a new subject matter in season three, in which we want to take an historical look at the first Christendom and ask a pivotal set of questions. What was it in all its glory? What are the key components that made it what it was? From the ecclesiastical to the civil to the military spheres, what were its best moments, high watermarks, and greatest accomplishments? Likewise, what were its failures and what led to its ultimate downfall? How can we learn from this set of blueprints and start rebuilding the walls of Christendom 2.0? Is everything we've been told about Christendom true? Why go back in time? Are we just LARPers? Are we just living in fantasy land of knights and squires and kings and great conquests? Not so fast. In truth, as we'll see in this episode, the work of Reformation always starts with understanding the great truths that have gone before us. But after we study the blueprints, we start the necessary work of rebuilding one generation at a time. In this transitional episode, before we move on to season three, we want to focus for a moment on the ways in which fathers have to be the kind of men who, like Isaac, start redigging the wells of Abraham. We have to go back and find the life-giving waters that once made Christianity a great civilizing force. We have to undo the work of our modern-day Philistines who have blocked the wells of church history. They are those modern historians who have told us that Christendom wasn't great, that it's really the source of all the evils we've known in world history. Fathers must be, as it were, historians. They must be the kind of historians who tell the right stories about our past so that we can remember the great works of God, the principles that guided the best of our kingly lineage, and so that we can lay out blueprints for our sons to carry on the work of building the next Christendom. The King's Hall Podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the King's Hall Podcast. I'm joined by two men with the blood of kings running through their veins. Specifically Charlemagne. Specifically Charlemagne, the French Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Sauvé. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to this podcast episode. Glad to have you, sir. Brian actually uh, didn't bring his harmonica. Did I? Was I supposed to? Praise uh, God from whom? I can, no, I have it already in the holder. Like, I'm ready to You're go. You're ready to if go. If you need it. The headgear is Here's the on. signal. The sign of the cross. That's the signal for the harmonica. Deus okay? Volt. Just bring you the do harmonica. that, I run. I, That's usually, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Deus Volt was originally used... Uh, in Latin to mean bring the harmonica. Yeah, it was later. The Lord wills it. Yeah, that's right. Because they're basically the same thing. Can we please, in the next crusade, not use a harmonica? If we're going to use an annoying <laughs> instrument, let's use the bagpipes. Oh, Actually, fair point. Actually, bagpipes, bagpipes are way better. And trumpets. Speaking of way better, Dan Burkholder, welcome to this episode <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> I didn't say way better than anything. You I know, just it was implied. Way better. I'll allow it. Than me, Dan Burkholder. Yes. Hello. Thank, thanks for having me. I don't know what you want me to say. By the way, that cold open, I want to say props to Eric. Eric wrote it. It was great. great. And uh, Brian read it. Impressive. Well, you know, Impressive reading. Thank you, sir. He, he did Very do a good. wonderful job. It, it's interesting because when I was writing it, I was writing it in my best Brian voice. Man, it. I felt it. Because I was like, what would Brian say here? I felt it, Eric. When it, it, it flowed right off the tongue. It was just, it stirred me up, to be quite quite frank. Yeah, well, thinking I'm, about the wells of Abraham that those wicked Philistines had clogged up, just the way that the enemies of God they always take that which is useful and good and you know, pro, you know, supporting of life, and then they just 
ruin it. They bring death. Yeah. And so when we go on the next crusade against the modern day Philistines, Mm -hmm. I want bagpipes and Timmy trumpet. And Timmy trumpet. I think we can can do both. Cue up the Timmy trumpet for season two (laughs) or season three. Excuse me. Season three, man. Uh, So we are, gentlemen, we are ending season two on fatherhood. This has been pivotal. Hopefully it's been really helpful for the listeners. But we've been doing a lot of research in preparation for season three. We've been redigging the wells of Abraham. We're going back to Christendom and church history and figuring out all these questions that we describe. What is it? Uh, what were its high watermarks? All that. But I just want to ask you guys. I know we've all been doing a lot of reading. We're all super excited, I think, about a number of things. But I want to ask each of you, what has been so exciting in that research process so far as you've looked back into these old wells of ancient truths? Man, what has been the most exciting? Oh, I would say one of the things that people probably notice, uh, and by probably, I mean definitely notice, especially if you look at uh, Pastor Sauvé or Pastor Khan's Twitter, is that it seems like maybe some of their tweets are a little bit um, out of the zeitgeist. You know? Like, a, one apart or two from, of them. Yeah, one I or mean, two of them. Maybe Maybe, slightly. like, just outside. Uh, and there are actually reasons for that. One of the things that has been exciting to me is, is you go back to the old paths of the first Christendom and you see the culture that was, I mean, cultivated because of worship of God and the virtues that were embodied by, uh, nobility and by peasants alike is that you see just a, a completely different culture outside of our zeitgeist. And it's really been interesting having that form our thoughts and the way that we approach problems Mm. because it's so much easier. I mean, this is what studying history does. And this is what Lloyd Jones was saying is that when you, when you study history, you realize, Oh, all of these problems, these have happened before. This problem reminds me of this event. And this is how this King or this monk or this missionary or who, whomever the church addressed this issue. And this is where it went wrong. This is where it went right. And things suddenly become a lot clearer. And it's funny how, as you look back at the old paths, all of a sudden, you know your own time better. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing that happens. You would think the opposite would be true, that you'd go back into the past and you would be disjointed from our present time and the present uh, perspectives and the present problems that we have. But the opposite is true. You look back at the past and you suddenly can see clearer the current issues of our day. And uh, knowing the times better, which is a key to wisdom and, and a key to, to, I mean, wise action. Yeah. And even with uh, pressing issues like, say, Christian nationalism, you can go back and you can read like, uh, you know, we're doing in the Pastors Guild even. We're reading The City of God from Augustine. And it's like, wait, people have actually answered these questions before. And so before we leap off and try to start something, quote, novel and new, which is perhaps the worst thing of all to do, uh, we should know what our forefathers taught. And by the way, they built amazing things over a thousand years based on something like the city of God. Today's episode is sponsored by Premier Body Armor, your top choice for safeguarding your family. What sets them apart? Well, Premier isn't here to convince you to wear a plate carrier around town. Nope. They're focused on innovating armor right into your normal everyday life. Think bulletproof laptop case or lightweight armor insert that fits into your favorite bag and stops most handgun, shotgun, and even rifle ammunition. Unlike much of the tactical industry, choosing Premier Body Armor not only ensures that you're getting amazing armor, but you'll be doing business with a family-owned Christian company. Visit PremierBodyArmor.com today and use promo code KINGSHALL for 10% off your order today. 
Got questions? Reach out to customer service or send their president an email directly at alex at premierbodyarmor.com and you can speak to him yourself. Don't wait to invest your family's security, but reach out today to Premier Body Armor. Don't carry a bag? No worries. How about a moisture-wicking athletic t-shirt with minimalist and lightweight soft armor panels built in? Check the link in the show notes or visit premierbodyarmor.com today. You know, there's nothing quite like a great cup of coffee in the morning. Here at New Christendom Press, we've really been enjoying coffee from our friends at Squirrely Joe's Coffee, a family-owned coffee company from Illinois. Joe and his wife, Rachel, put a ton of effort into quality roasted beans and wholeheartedly support us in our vision to bring all of Christ to all of life. Yes, even to that cup of coffee that's in your hands. You can order your first batch of coffee from Squirrely Joe's by going to squirrelyjoes.com or by clicking the link in the show notes below. First-time customers will receive 20% off their first order, so be sure to head to their website. Again, that's Squirrely Joe's at squirrelyjoes.com. Let them help you in your mission while you help them in theirs. Caffeinating the Modern Reformation. Are you the owner of a small business with the potential of a large net income that will likely be subject to onerous taxation? Well, don't wait until you begin filing your tax return for 2023. Now is the right time to work with one of our sponsors, Defined Benefit Partners. In some cases, they can help you legally defer taxes on $200,000 to $300,000 worth of business income. Are you desiring to sell or buy a business but are short on the capital needed for the deal? They also help facilitate such transactions with a win-win scenario for the seller and the buyer. Check out the links in the show notes for more information about Defined Benefit Partners. Uh, Brian, uh, curious your take. What is exciting you as we – I know you're reading The Sword and Scimitar – Mm-hmm. I know you've been reading a lot of stuff. We've been having good conversations, but what is what is getting the blood going in your kingly veins? Well, you know, Eric, it's been really in two directions that I've been stirred. And one is in just um, pure rage. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I like where this is going. <laughs> the number of times that maybe 10, 10, 30 at night, I, I roll over and I look at Lexi and I'm like, Islam is evil. Many, many times. You'll text us a lot of times. I'm like, you guys, Islam is evil. Tell me. And remember, this is for posterity, so be honest. How do you feel? It is a religion of scum. It is it is demonic, and it urges giving way to every basest passion of the flesh of man, and it valorizes all of the basest passions of men. So... I've been stirred up in just absolute fire at the uh, just offense at the sacrilegious and wicked um, usurpation of Christian lands by the Mohammedans. How do you actually feel about it, though? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I can attest that this is true because at random times during the day, Brian will just scream out, Deus Walt! <laughs> so that's the first direction, is that reliving these battles, these key battles. Mm-hmm. But in the in the face of that, I've said quite a bit that anger is one of those um, emotions that you have to quickly channel to righteous action or it turns into something toxic and um, destructive. Something that will burn you. It will burn you, yeah. right? In, in, it, it must be um, channeled righteously. 
And, and the way that I've kind of, I feel like at least tried to do that is in also being encouraged by the great heroes of the Chris, of the first Christendom, like just inspired by the courage and, um, and also then angry again at the way that <laughs> our modern day has treated them yeah. and slandered them, base slander, and that Christians have gone along with it. So that's been an overwhelming um, urge, I, I guess, as well along the way. I have been struck by how much more complicated history always is when you get down into the weeds of it than any one narrative narrative that one might want to tell in history and but that there's a beauty and a glory there and seeing the way that God providentially ordered his story that he's telling through his church in in all of the black portions and the glories so th- there's just been a lot it's stirred me up quite a bit more than I expected that it would yeah I can totally uh, attest to that I've definitely been stirred up by some of the great heroes that people maybe wouldn't even suspect like Vlad the Impaler Huh, has been a personal favorite. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. I, uh, somebody sent me a meme. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, no. Here we go. Said, Here we go. The, the top meme said, neighbor or good, good fences make good neighbors. Oh, no. And then it said, bad neighbors make good fences. Oh, no. Eric. And it showed Vlad with Eric. the forest to the impaled. The number of times that Eric has been like, you know, Vlad the impaler. And then we're like, <laughs> oh, just boy. buckle up. And please don't tweet this. <laughs> like, please like, don't no, tweet like, this. <laughs> Because no, we don't want to talk about it on our podcast. We don't want to steal publicly. the thunder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's do it on our podcast. That's right. Vlad the Chad. Uh, I've been in <laughs> Vlad the Imperiler. Maybe some questionable actions. I can't I'll think of say. one. Look, okay. <laughs> this is all satire. This is all. For our handlers, for our Fed handlers, <laughs> I just want you to know this entire podcast it's, is satire. It's a joke. Okay. okay. And um, every in our whole lives, just one big, long satire. Sometimes we, it feels like it's a big joke. Yes. Because if you don't laugh, you yes. cry. So true, King. So besides Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Dracula, if you will, uh, being a great Christian king, uh, the other thing I would say that I'm excited for for this season is not only reading like Raymond Ibrahim on the sword and the scimitar, yeah, and also the defenders of the West, of which he speaks of Vlad, uh, but we're also going to have him on the show, yeah. So we've got a lot of great uh, historical uh, evidence and discussion with actual historians, yeah, for this season. A lot of that will be on Patreon, uh, especially if you're a Patreon member. It's worth noting that we'll have a lot of these ad free. On Patreon early. Full interviews. So a lot of these are actually already done. You'll get the full interview yeah. before anybody else will. Some will drop, yeah. uh, you know, during or after the season. That Some that, of them will just be woven in maybe to episodes. You won't even ever hear the full interview unless you're a patron. Exactly. So so some of the other guys that we have, board, uh, Glenn Sunshine, we've already talked to him. That was amazing. Uh, Dr. Joe Rigney. Yeah. Phenomenal interview with him. We've got Dr. George Grant coming up uh, this week. Uh, we are recording with Dr. Ben Merkel. We're going to be talking about King Alfred, one of Dan's favorites. Oh, so I think excellent. this is going to be just a meaty, wonderful uh, season. I'm really excited. I for hope it. it goes on for one to two hundred episodes. I'm going to be honest. Two hundred. This just be our new thing. It's just it's our new season thing. Three season three ad infinitum. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we are not limiting uh, the scope or number of episodes in season three. No, uh, gentlemen. Another question I want to ask you from from the cold open. I was really intrigued by this. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, nothing surely is more important for us at this present time than to read the history of the past and to discover its message. That's the end of the quote. Do you guys think this is true? And why is church history so important for present works of restoration and reformation? Why start here? 
Well, one reason I think that where wherever you find the ills within the church, which in the camp, you will often f- be able to trace them very quickly to a rootlessness, to a historical rootlessness, mm. where a lot of our, uh, you know, even it, what we talked about in season one, the errors of megachurchianity, and these are often errors that are made where if you had just asked one question, you would have been saved from all of them, and that question being, has anybody else in the previous 19 centuries of Christian history thought or practiced the way that I am currently considering thinking and practicing? And if the answer is no, it doesn't necessarily by brute, you know, uh, deductive argument mean that you're wrong, but it does mean that you should really have an epistemic humility and pause and be able to articulate the position of the church, how it developed through history, what were the practices of my forefathers, and why am I thinking about departing here? Is there wisdom? And I think of so many issues in the church today that could be rectified had we merely stopped and either said, is what I'm about to do departing an error? Mm. And that's why nobody thought this way. Or have I even wandered down a few miles of error and I need to go back in history and find the point where we departed and go back there and and that's often what we have to do. Well, I think one of the issues is that your question, like, hey, has anybody done this previous 1900 years, is actually meaningless to the ignorant. Yeah, because they don't even know. Because, and you addressed this earlier, when people try to broad brush history into mm-hmm. a certain narrative, then, uh, you know, to essentially say uh, previous 1900 years of church history was just wrong. It's actually like, we've talked about this before with dispensationalism and, and some other modern ideas of Christianity, modern theologies, is that everybody was wrong before me, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of the default position. Whether it's explicitly yeah. said, it's assumed. Mm-hmm. And so it is really important to go back to the roots of, of historic Christianity yeah. and to see like, because there's another thing too, is that it's assumed that the first century church had everything perfect. Mm-hmm. And then there was a whole dark age, you know, after maybe like, you know, post-Constantine, Constantine and afterwards, yeah. that was just rediscovered recently, which again is a very Mormon ideal. Uh, so yeah. anyway, uh, it's really, it is really important to go back and not be ignorant mm-hmm. of how the church exercised their authority mm-hmm. and their teaching and the culture and everything like that. Actually, a book I would uh, I would recommend to you is uh, Esselin, Anthony Esselin's book, uh, A Politically Incorrect Guide to Western Civilization. Yeah. It's a really good broad overview of the history uh, of Western civilization, obviously it's in the title, but uh, it, he goes in, in depth specifically in the, in the middle ages and talks about how it was actually one of the greatest times of human flourishing mm-hmm. in human existence. Yeah. And, uh, and talks about that. I think that would be really helpful if you have just a general ignorance about church history. Even one thing that I learned, this is so obvious now that I kind of like, have read this sentence. Sure. But even the fact that we call it the West in the fact that we identify Christianity with the West, the reason that we do that is because the West is all that remained unconquered after the scourge of the Mohammedans went through and conquered vast swaths of Christian land and territory that had been ruled Christianly for centuries. So even now I'm like the history of the West, I mean, I also want to talk about the East. And there's all these veins of history that we're just, we're just, like you said, it's not that a lot of Christians are rejecting their history. It's that they don't even know them. There was so much that happened in the East 
that I was simply ignorant of. And I know now, like the more you learn, the more you know that you don't know. So there's, there's just a whole, like there's this great body of history of our forefathers that has so much to teach us today. And it's not only that uh, the modern church has rejected it, it's that they've rejected it by not even learning it. Mm -hmm. And that is even worse. Well, and another thing that it does when you go back to history and discover the past for the present time is that you realize (laughs) that there is is nothing new under the sun. You you think, uh, like Lloyd-Jones had said, that our problems are new. Like Mm. maybe it's a different flavor, slightly different flavor, but sexual immorality coming into the church, the LGBTQ stuff, uh, women usurping their roles, um, you know, men being effeminate and and disregarding their authority as church fathers and pastors. And this is old, this is old, old stuff. I mean, this Mm. has happened so many different times and you know what, you know, what's interesting is there's often a uniting force throughout the cycle of church history in, you know, in history and church history is that the church would fall into licentiousness, into sexual immorality, into bad teaching, and somebody would attack. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you have a united West, you have a united England, you have, you know, these united nations. The Western church is sending troops to the Eastern city of Constantinople. And yeah, yeah, because of the persecution of Christians and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, and so this is this is something that's happened before. And so what it, another thing that it does is it actually gives you hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It gives you hope because yep. Christ is faithful. He is faithful to his church. He's faithful to his body. Uh, I mean, you might have some crazy, you know, elimination, you know, survivalists, I don't know, bunker Christianity idea like, well, no, it's inevitable that everybody dies and that Christ comes back to pretty much no Christians. I think that's baloney, and you can look at history and see that that's absolutely not true. There have been worse times than we live in now, and things have turned out amazing for the church. It just takes a few hundred years, usually. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was thinking of, uh, you know, on knowing church history, and we talked about adoption and fatherhood in the last episode, but one of our listeners, dear listeners, one of the kings in the king's hall, uh, had sent us a thing saying, yeah, what you guys are talking about, two tiers of Christianity, like super Christians versus other. He said, this is actually old doctrine of Keswickian theology. Yeah. So Dan and I were unpacking that in, yeah. in the uh, Pugilist on the Hardman podcast. But it, it was just a good point that if you understand the history of a doctrine, you see this isn't actually new at all. Mm-hmm. And then you can go back and then refute it. Based on, well, how, how did... Or it's already been refuted. It's already been refuted. Yeah. yeah. Someone, the way I, I learned first about Keswickian theology is somebody accused me of doing it <laughs> by saying that there was such thing as a better way of doing something than oh. not. Oh, interesting. And yeah. they were like, so what you're saying is there's like a higher tier of Christians. And I was like, no, no, no. Tell me where I lose you. It'd be better to do a better job at some things, and that's possible. It's called sanctification. It's called sanctification. <laughs> and just learning skills. Yeah. But yes, to your point. Yeah, super 100%. helpful. Um, gentlemen, it seems like one of the things that I, I've seen, a lot of people, as Brian and I have been posting on Twitter about these ideas of Christendom, um, there's been a lot of pushback from people who have been catechized and discipled by the current zeitgeist and the current zeitgeist historians. But the people are retarded. Um, but, but one of the charges I think could be a real charge that some of these people have said which is, are, are you guys just LARPing, right? Are we just trying to LARP back to an old age, again, of knights and round tables and stuff like this? And then I guess a follow-up to that is, is so are we LARPers? 
And then what would make us not LARPers? Hmm. That's yeah. a good question. Are we LARPers? This is one of my favorite tactics of the of the Sanballat discouragers is to just look at anybody doing anything and say, well, because you haven't achieved what took a civilization or a people several hundred years to achieve, you're just LARPing. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. We're actually just building on our own scale. Yeah, look at that wall. A fox will climb on it and knock <laughs> yeah. it down. Because, LARPer. Because you haven't built a cathedral that – you guys know some of the cathedrals. Well, you guys know. Some of them were started in the 12th century, weren't finished till the Civil War. Okay? But if you went and just told the, the people building them, you guys are just flipping LARPers. Like, where's the roof on this thing? <laughs> it's like, look, things take time. And, and believe it or not, we are three dudes. We can't single-handedly rebuild Christendom. But here's the neat part. You can participate in it as three guys and as a guy and as a family. And with your limited little piddling vapor of a life, you really can use that for the glory of Christ. Don't let anybody discourage you with this. What are you doing? What are you up to? Like, you're just yeah, tweeting was at a people big who are trying to do last, stuff. In the election with Ohio, ratifying mm -hmm. abortion into their constitution. Yeah. And it was like, Christian nationalism for the win. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like the whole, and Moscow, Idaho can't even Christianize a city. How are they going to, you know, make America Christian? I'm like, you guys, they've been at it for a couple decades. Believe it or not, that's not that long. And look at what they've done in that couple of decades. Imagine it. Wait, what if, what if history actually was longer than sixteen minutes? What? What if history didn't play out in twenty-one minute episodes of a sitcom? Well, <laughs> let me ask you this, Brian, because I, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I was driving to a friend's house, and I passed a park, and in the park were all these people dressed as knights, yeah. and they they had sort of the like, I don't know type two diabetes body type. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they were clearly not actually knights is my point here. <laughs> right. I was there. I don't know why. <laughs> you don't you've got to a, like subtweet. You can just Dan tell me my face. there with his sword that has a Nordic name. And I have <laughs> insulin. Yeah. So what? But it seems like, it seems like one of the things that would make LARPing LARPing is the fact that people aren't actually building anything. Yeah. So even in your answer, it seems like we are actually seeking to take these things and apply them and do real building. Yeah, I usually say to people like, I don't actually say this, but I think <laughs> like Paul when he says, you've driven me mad, but I'm 32 and help start a school, pastor a church, do a fit, like all these different things. And it's like, what have you done? 55-year-old guys sitting on the internet just like telling people that they're wasting their life. Like we're not just, it would be totally fair to make that objection. If we podcasted about stuff that we didn't do, but we are yeah. that would doing be LARPing a hundred percent. That would totally fair. Call me a LARPer, and I, you know, and I'll wear the badge if that's the case. But things take time, and they don't always work. Like we're post millennialists, that doesn't mean that we think everything's going to be fixed within a generation or two, and that we can guarantee it. God's telling Wait, a much more You don't get the story. newspaper every day and go like, oh, darn it. Ah, shoot. Christendom isn't here yet. It's, you know, we haven't finished We the haven't work. finished, yeah, Christian. Like, no, we're small. We're tiny little pinpricks on the, on the, on the timeline. No one's probably going to remember most, the vast majority of anything we ever do or say. But it's infinitely significant because we're doing it quorum Deo. We're doing it before God. You know what's LARPing, though, Eric? Hmm. You know what's LARPing? Is refighting 500-year-old battles that are already won while so, not doing anything about the battles today. So that's actually one thing I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll tie this in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask both of you this question. 
one of the outflows of Martin Lloyd-Jones' life, I believe with Ian Murray, was the starting of um, uh, creating like the Puritan paperbacks, Banner of Truth, mm -hmm. because they wanted to revive the works of the Puritans, which has been <clears throat> such a tremendous blessing to the church. Yeah. We're reading William Gooch. Like, thank God that these things have been brought back into mm -hmm. publication. One of the problems I've heard uh, about these types of reform camps, though, is exactly that. Like, you want to wear the Luther shirt, but you wouldn't allow Luther to be in your church. Mm -hmm. You won't tolerate anybody with a sharp tongue. You won't tolerate anybody with a sharp sword who's actually going to use it. So, it, Dan, does it seem like the reform camp really is – I feel like there are a lot of guys calling us LARPers who are actually LARPing. <laughs> so I, I was going to tweet this. I saved it for our listeners and this show. Here's my hot take. Do you think the reform camp – I do – Many of the reform camp is actually just LARPing. Yeah, I mean, well, you guys have already said it. They're content to fight battles that have already been won. Mm -hmm. uh, and for some reason, it seems like they're, it's almost like stolen valor. Mm -hmm. How it, do you mean? Well, stolen valor. So so Josh Buis and his, and his wife go into some great cathedral in Europe wearing Luther shirts on uh, Reformation Day. It's not actually a fight, though. It's they, not a fight. They take selfies at the monuments of Christian forefathers they would have excommunicated. Yes. That's yes. what it is. That, they stand there and they exactly take selfies what said. Yeah. At, the, at the monuments of Christian forefathers they would have excommunicated. Samuel Rutherford, by the way, who wrote Lex Rex, mm -hmm. was like, he would probably be somewhere in the Christian nationalist camp. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Rutherford. All these, all these, it's, it's to Stephen Wolf's point that what he's attempting to recover in his works are classical Christian political theology and theory. And what we have today are people who have, um, they're basically, they're like five point Calvinists. You're, you know, like the whole, I'm reformed because I'm a five point Calvinist. They're five point Calvinists that often without even realizing it have replaced the entire foundation of actual reformed thought with something totally foreign to the history of Christian thinking. And then, and then they have the audacity to claim that they are the truly reformed ones who are bulwarks standing against these dangerous and dark ideology. What is it? Dark? Alchemy. Dark alchemies yeah. of Christians, you know, it, it, within the Christian camp. And I'm like, you guys, you guys. So it actually— Are you not—do you have no mirrors in your house? Yeah, it actually reminds me—the the passage we're referencing is Luke 11, 47, where Jesus says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. So it's like this hypocrisy that's tied to history. Mm -hmm. um, Dan, I want to ask you for our practical purposes, because I think we could be prone to this too as we go through and people could, our listeners could. Um, just to hammer this point home, what do you need to be doing to ensure that you're not some fake LARPer who is just, you know – appreciating some bygone era. You're just, I just love Victorian England, or I just love this era. How do you not just become a phony doing that? Yeah. I mean, it starts with the basics. So Brian had said, you know, if we just did a podcast and weren't doing anything else, then we would be LAR LARPers. So what is the distinction? Well, it's that, I mean, we could stop podcasts. This could be our last podcast. We could press the the stop button on the recording and then go do our thing. And that would literally change nothing mm -hmm. from our day to day other than we would have one less, you know, our meeting that we talk into microphones. Yeah. Uh, and it begins really with the small tasks of being a good father, being a good mother, 
discipling your kids. It's really like living out household, the household codes. The household mm-hmm. codes. Yeah. Thinking about your generations. Thinking about when you discipline your kids, you're disciplining your grandkids. Thinking yeah. about your money in a way that's uh, laying up an inheritance for your grandchildren. Thinking about the way that you know you interact with the church so that it'll be a bulwark in the coming tide and, and flood of the cultural insanity. Respecting those that are in authority over you and submitting to them. Making sure that you're you're actually taking care of your wife and loving her as lo- Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. And for ladies to respect their husbands and I mean, it's really ordinary things. Even John Lovell, normie guy, war poet society, uh, seems like a great guy. It's really funny that John Lovell is normie to us. Like, that's how far right we are. The guy that like 99% of society would be like, look at that far right Christian terrorist. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. we're like, I mean, he's kind of a normie. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, I, I had just had a, a video short come up on my screen and he was saying, like, all you have to do is look at a guy's wife and his kids. Are they doing well? Like, does she seem like she's taken care of? Are the kids well-disciplined? Mm. Does he have that's a, a house point. that yeah. seems like yeah. pretty much in order? He's like, that's a good man. That is a good man. He has his house in order. Amen. Like, you're going to know the fruits of that man. You're going to know the worth of that man just mm-hmm. based on his wife and kids. Yeah. And so if you want to not be a LARPer, I mean, that's the best thing you yeah. can do is mm-hmm. just do your duties. Mm-hmm. Do what do your duties. The guy yeah. who who's got type two diabetes that's fighting in the park with a foam sword is not actually accomplishing anything. They're not doing their duties. They might be having fun. And by the way, if you like LARPing, I think it's great. I actually would love to LARP. I'm I mean, not even lying. Like, here's, here's bros, the thing. We LARP at I sunset. I wish I had that much confidence. I know Dan, we LARP at sunset. Let's go. But like, the, let's there, do it. Let's do it. There's, I'm not going to, be there for that. <laughs> you guys can LARP away. We're but secure. Coward. I, I, I do agree with you. Um, th- there's a time and a place for that sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, Dan, I think this is great. It's like, well, do the hard work. So even in those situations, it's like if you really want to be building Christendom, then it's going to be things like physical discipline. Yeah. It's going to be things like, you know, yeah, we talk about this, but then we are also building a media company. We're building a school. We're building the church. I think some things that people miss about us is – 99% of our time is spent on pastoral ministry. Yeah, most of our conversations. This is actually such a small blip of what we're doing. In fact, yeah. w- this showed up on the calendar today to record this episode. And I was like, oh, man, we have to record the King's Hall. Like, we got so much work to do. Yeah, I mean, we started the recording like an hour and a half late because <clears throat> yeah. of different <laughs> situations. Yeah. You know, Eric. You know, and Eric was late. It remind I, I there was this wonderful Twitter th- trend that was going around like yesterday and the day before. I think one of our own, Mister Holler, started it of the AI generated cathedrals in your town. It was like the year twenty one thirty seven. What a king! Okay, great job, first of all, Mister Holler. And but it, it got me thinking, like, how many of the guys gleefully sharing these pictures don't tithe to their church? And I'm like, how do you think your church is going to build a cathedral even in a hundred years? If you can't even tithe, what? Like, how would we have a school at our church if we did? Like, all of these things that we have to be really ruthless with ourselves and actually make sure that we're not LARPing. It really is a good pushback. It's a great self-assessment. Where am I like, yeah, build the cathedral, and I give 1% of my income to the church. My friends, they're going to have a strip mall. They ain't going to have a cathedral. Or I've, I've wondered the same thing, Brian. I think that's it's what a, you deserve is a strip mall. <laughs> a strip mall. That's what, I mean, come on. It's, it's a phenomenal point, but I've wondered the same thing. How many people who are running masculinity accounts 
ended up being complete schmucks and oh, yeah. charlatans oh, and losers. Yeah. How many ladies running, you know, like trad wife accounts yeah. are actually just terrible women? You know, there's all sorts of ways that we could analyze this. Uh, maybe one of it, Dan, is your favorite parts, I guess, of worship or one of them um, is that we do confession. And usually the pastors are like ruthless with this. Uh, in fact, our very own Pastor Griffin was preaching recently. And when he started into his application, one of my sons looked at me because we know what happens when Pastor Griffin's preaching. He looked at me and he was like, here we go. Like fasten <laughs> your seatbelts. Yeah. We're about to get it. And it's – but but those things are good also because we're having to ask these questions. Are you just a LARPer? Are you actually doing the things in your everyday life? Well, and I think one key to remember is that it's it's just like the criticisms from the people that are saying you're just LARPing. Like, where is your cathedral? Like, uh, you know, is Ogden <laughs> yeah. a Christian town yet? Yeah. You know, it's been a few years. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see the, the, you have to remember that this is the work of generations. Yeah. And, and the glory, while it may not be that, oh, you get to worship God in the cathedral that you started. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that, that's just not reality. Mm-hmm. Well, but, but it's, uh, it's a greater glory mm-hmm. because you actually stand at the headwaters of a flood of generations yeah. that did the work. And you saw something that they they get to see with their eyes. You only got to see it in faith. Yeah. That's that's the point of like part of the glory of the Old Testament saints and the in in a sense our greater privilege is that they looked forward to something they didn't see. Yeah. We get to see something Christ accomplished and did. There's a sense that you can live that out in your life and your community where faith is looking at things that aren't yet, they aren't yet there, but but you believe that based on the promises of God, they could be. Mm-hmm. If, if you'd be faithful and if your children would be faithful and your children's children. That's a glory. Yeah, it is. Don't let anybody dismiss that as no. LARPing. Provided no. you're doing, provided you're doing your ditch digging. They're at the headwaters. Well, yeah, that, absolutely. And if you do your duties with the idea that this is generational work, I'm actually when I when I discipline my sons or when you discipline your daughter mm-hmm. and your daughters, uh, you actually have the force of generations behind them. And so you're doing this with the hope that God would be faithful to his promise to the thousandth generation. He would bless them for those who who love him. Yeah. And so you're actually doing a greater work in some senses than the stone cutter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one mm-hmm. of the things uh, to, to piggyback on everything you guys have said, I think that's great. I would also give a word to the fathers in our camp who are the older men. If you're in the boomer camp, I, w- I just want to encourage you, don't be a sandbalot. When you see your kids dreaming of cathedrals and putting their backs into it, be an encouragement. Don't yeah. be the guy who's like, well, you'll never build that. I think a lot of that is actually just envy. Because you know yeah. you didn't do it, or maybe your generation wasn't able to, maybe you tried, whatever. But I think for the older men, I would say, come alongside the younger men and say, you want a cathedral? Let me show you what it takes. Mm-hmm. Be the guy on D-Day who says, you you youngins, you don't know how to take that machine gun nest? Let me show you. Mm-hmm. Be that kind of father. And especially, this is about how we handle the weapon of history. Take the weapon of history and show your sons how to use it well. And to give them hope. Yeah, because the the young men will have zeal. Yes. And hopefully you and have strength. wisdom. And yeah, and they have strength. So it's your responsibility to help direct them. Yeah, I think that's a pivotal point. Um, one of the things I want to talk about that fathers as historians need to do, I think we're agreed on that role, is they need to clear away the debris of false historical narratives. This is going to be so tied to what kind of education we give our children but I, I specifically want to ask you guys, what are some of the wells 
and the things that Philistines have put in the well that we need to most take out. So these are false historical narratives. I'll throw one out there because it's an easy one, I think. Yeah. And I would say um, this whole idea that colonization was all bad and that everything that colonization did was bad. Eric, you are you are speaking my love language. My <laughs> oh, love man. language is not quality time. It's not physical touch. It's my love language is colonization. <laughs> Pepe Le Pew right here. It's, it's colonial. It's Christian colonialism and empire building. That's my love language. Imperialism. Go on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the things that fathers have to be aware of is we need to be giving our sons the true stories of what like colonization was. So I want to give one example here. People are like, mm. what are you talking about? Who's talking about decolonization? Why is it so important? Uh, I found one article. There's literally hundreds of articles on decolonization when I look this up. One of them was even called Decolonize Your Diet. <laughs> that was one of the articles. <laughs> Why you need a more ethnically diverse diet because you're oh. a colonialist. Uh, one of the ones I found most hilarious beautiful. was one that was called Decolonize Your Bookshelf. And in case you wonder what that means, here's what the article says. It says, decolonizing your bookshelf means actively examining and resisting colonialist narratives in the books you read and diversifying your reading to include books by authors from communities Dude, that have been victims of colonialism and systemic racism. Eric, why can't we just go back further and decolonize our bookshelves, go all the way back to, like, let's say, Native Americans that didn't even have written language? Get rid of books altogether. Exactly. Why not? This is where decolonization— We don't want to follow the narrative of white supremacy by reading books. That's right. That's right. So I think, actually, gentlemen, uh, agree, disagree, and then we'll, we'll get some of the other historical narratives you see I mean, as false. One of my but, favorite books was written by a bunch of Jews, so— Which It's one? called the Bible. It's called the Bible. <laughs> okay, just <laughs> yeah. checking. Um, what I will say is this. I, I, I find that one of the things we're actually trying to do in season three of the King's Hall— and I'm trying to do with my sons is I'm actually trying to colonize my bookshelf. So one of the things we're doing is Based. We're, we're reading Rudyard Kipling. We're reading the things of empire and realizing, you know, that one of these stories, which maybe we'll tell in season three is a little wet your appetite. There were, I believe it was in India when the British were in India and they were burning wives on funeral pyres. Yep. Sati. I know. Yep. Sati. And they said, yeah. this is our culture. And he said, well, our culture is that we kill people who do that. So our <laughs> culture will be meeting your culture when you go yeah. to burn your wives. We'll erect gallows around the pyre. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so this is actually one of it. the glories of colonialism, uh, one of the glories of Christendom and Western civilization. I think it's funny, by the way, we all know the story and none of us have talked about it with each other. Oh yeah, we all know it, we, and we've all like we've all imagined being the guys saying it, being what like a king. Oh, that's but in like a really sweet British accent. Oh, it's amazing. Like, I, I might. <laughs> that's he's like that's, I can't. I can only do Cockney. I can't do like a really sophisticated one. So, 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 so I want to ask you guys: What are some other historical narratives uh, areas where we've okay. polluted the wells? This is an easy one. Again, it returns to my absolute scorn for the Mohammedan religion. (laughs) No, it is, it is that we have bought this lie that Christians in the crusades and in the, the, the wars, even in the conflicts pre crusades, that Christians were basically sweeping through this great civilized culture, destroying centuries of Arabic progress in learning 
and in all these sciences and literature, and that these barbaric Christians lusting for treasure and killing came through and swept them away. When in reality, what we're actually looking at are, again, lands that were brutally conquered through rape and pillaging of an evil demonic religion that were actively suppressing and oppressing their Christian brothers and sisters, which had been reduced to what they call demi-status of vassals, killed at whim, raped at whim, sold into slavery. One of the greatest slave trades in the world were Europeans, white Europeans, sold into slavery for the purposes of sex and other, you know, awful things to the point where many elite Arabic bloodlines became functionally European because so many white women had been stolen, abducted, put in slavery, and raped by elite Muslim rulers. So then the Christians go through and attempt to liberate their brothers and sisters from this horrible, oppressive darkness, actually after basically having your house stolen by somebody else. And and we've bought this lie, this historical whitewashing, that that they were just some kind of like animalistic well, you even, bloodlusting. It's just you silly. even see this, Brian, in in, in modern popular things like um, the Black Panther movie, which is like, oh, well, really, there was like this black tribal people, and they had all the technology, mm-hmm. and they were the great civilization. It's the same as the Mohammedan yeah. lie. But what's interesting, we'll get into this in season three, of course. One of the things that that I was reading said that actually what was happening when the Muslims would conquer, they would take all the best scientists, philosophers, et cetera, mm-hmm. many of whom were like Coptic Christians. Yeah. They would change their names and claim that it was— To like Al-Jazeer, Al-Abdul, Al-Bazaar. And then in their histories, when they rewrote them, they were like, this great Muslim See, we philosopher. invented calculus. <laughs> You're like, they were all Christians. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> you stole that. The Family Captain is all about helping Christian husbands build an incredible marriage and family culture. It's family leadership, it's sex and marriage, all made practical so husbands, wives, and children can enjoy God's best and truly thrive. And here's the deal. Every six months, our friends over at the Family Captain open enrollment for one month only to let guys into the expedition. The expedition is your monthly subscription to practical family leadership and thriving intimacy. Inside the expedition, you'll experience brotherhood, mentorship, and a powerful curriculum. You'll build attraction in your marriage, embrace your family identity, and build a family culture that you're excited about. So if you want to take your marriage from just fine to thriving, get into the expedition before it closes on Christmas Eve. Go to thefamilycaptain.com slash expedition to sign up now. Or check the links in the show notes below. Our sponsor, Private Family Banking Partners, is on a mission to help Christians live out the Dominion mandate by making a stealth-like move away from the mainstream banks and into their own privatized banking system. This innovative system is designed to guarantee uninterrupted compound interest and tax-free growth without exposure to typical stock market risks. To join this growing community that is already building wealth into future generations and converting post-mill talk into post-mill action, contact Private Family Banking partner Chuck De Laderante at his email, chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. To set up an appointment and to receive a free copy of Chuck's new book, Protect Your Money Now, How to Build Multi-Generational Wealth Outside of Wall Street, and avoid the coming banking meltdown, go to the link in the show notes for more information. (laughs) 
like, and, and, and the point isn't like there's a the point we're not gonna act, like we're not gonna say this either. The point isn't that you had this sinless Christians and they never did anything wrong. That would be silly. That would be because all of us know that we ourselves are not like that. We all do things that are sinful and wrong. It's not that we can never say, well, I don't know if I would have done quite that. It's that the overarching narrative is replayed such that Christians are basically orcs. And they're ta- and and they went through the the woods of Lothlorien and and just like all these virginal elves were there with their high elvish culture and the Christians just ruined it and sent them to the tumbling back to the dark ages and I'm like y- you've never picked up a history book if you believe that that's the case or at least a true history book if you think that's the case yeah absolutely so this will be uh, pivotal is understanding history as it was. Uh, Dan, any thoughts, uh, anything you want to add on that discussion? Uh, I was looking for a quote. I couldn't find it. Dang so it. I'm kind of bummed. But essentially, Esalen said that uh, we as moderns would be uncomfortable in the Middle Ages because it was so full of light, of joy, and of flourishing mm. that we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. Mm. Essentially, he says it much better, obviously. But um, you know, back to your question about what are some of the ways that the um, – that the Pharisees or the Even calling have, it the Dark Ages. Yeah, calling yeah. it the Dark Ages is just ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely insane. It's interesting because even modern historians have said, yeah, that the Dark Ages is a is a completely in the Enlightenment that was invented to be like, oh, Christians are so bad. I would contend that we're actually going to be known in this age as the Dark Ages by future yeah. historians. I'm also bummed that we lost the rest. Like one of the wells we we got stopped up is we lost the recipe for Greek fire. Oh, I I don't know anything about Greek fire. Greek fire is is like, it's like napalm on the water, except better because it won't go out. The Christians figured out a way like that. This great, you know what? I don't want to ruin all of our future season. You got to wet the appetite. We got to wet the appetite. They had basically napalm that they would use to burn opposing ships on the water. It would burn on the water. The Christians absolutely dominated the Muslims at sea in the in Constantinople. I mean, they made them look silly. People tried to replicate today what Greek fire was. Nobody can figure it out. There's yeah. a, there, so I just looked it up on Wikipedia. There's a painting, and it says the Roman fleet burned the opposite fleet down, a yeah. Byzantine ship using Greek fire against a ship belonging to the rebel Thomas the Slav Bro. in 821. Dude, the Slavs. Th- Thomas you. the Slav? I don't know I will, anything I about I need him. to have more children to name. You probably deserved it. Just name my sons after these Chad Kings of history. Please somebody name their, one of their sons Vlad the Impaler. My sons are, many of them are going to sound like orth, Eastern Orthodox saints. Because like some Vlad, of the Eastern. Dracula <laughs> Some of the Eastern Christians, like the way that they handled the, the Turkish invaders is it, like Nick, my guy, Nick, never mind. I'm not, you know what? I'm not going to shoot my shot now. We got to wait and get there. Dude. You Come back, King's Hall season three. You don't even know. You don't even know what you're in for. You don't even know. Uh, speaking of things we don't even know. By I the actually... way, sign up for Patreon so we can hire a full-time sound designer to, Everything. to Haunted Cosmos, the King's Hall, oh, up dude. even more. It's going to be it's gonna be rich. Uh, things we don't know. Moving on now to things we do know. Uh, building monuments. Mm-hmm. I want to talk just a little bit about this. There's been controversy in our time over monuments. Uh, one of the places we've seen this, obviously, is with the recent melting down of Robert E. Lee. Uh, this has been highly problematic and controversial in our era. A lot of Christians have even said things like, why would you ever celebrate somebody like Robert E. Lee? One of the books I think that is most helpful in understanding the idea of monuments and rewriting history is Pat Buchanan's The Death of the West. He says that tearing down monuments and rewriting history is one of the central aims of the leftist state. 
And of course, it has been very effective. Effectively killing the West, uh, he will say, by destroying its heroes in history. Well, I want to tie this, though, to Scripture. What does Scripture say about this? Well, we find in many places that God ordered the building of monuments to remind the people of what God had done in the past, and it was supposed to encourage encourage future generations. So example of this would be Joshua chapter 4, and I'm going to ask Mr. Daniel Burkholder. My all guy, right. Joshua Burkholder, if you would read that for us. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out into the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in a time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them of the wa- that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Beautiful. Thank you, Dan. Well, one of the things, guys, uh, uh, we've been talking about in particular with this episode, sort of the work of season three of King's Hall is we're trying to, uh, metaphorically at least, rebuild the monuments of some of our heroes to remind our sons and future generations of the great works that were done. I find it interesting in this passage that the fathers of one generation were commanded to erect monuments. No, And God says, your children will ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? And so we ought to have an answer for that. Uh, people might ask, Brian, why are your children named Vlad the Impaler? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, my children aren't named Vlad the Impaler. But when what they is are, Alfred? <laughs> they, they, exactly. Alfred, absolutely. So, so King I want, Alfred. I want to ask Alfred you guys. Alfred Kingsley. Yeah, Alfred Kingsley. I mean, I cannot make I it cannot any make more obvious. Up. My wife, uh, she was uncomfortable with naming him literally first name King, middle name Alfred, which I don't understand, guys. I don't understand. So I want to ask you guys this question. Why are visible signs in God's wisdom, why are they important for the transmission of history from one generation to the next? We've got to fight Gnosticism. We've got to fight this spiritualizing uh, instinct that is the instinct of the Anabaptist. It's the instinct of the, of the, the, the church in Colossians that needed to be rebuked. It's this instinct of saying, basically— Buildings don't matter. Buildings of Jesus juking everything all the way down to the bottom. Like, of course. What's your problem with the Jesus juke, <laughs> Brian? Do you hate Jesus? Do you hate Jesus? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it is so facile. It's so, like, try to think clearly, try to think in categories, try not to be an ignoramus, and actually, like, live your life in the real world as a disciple of Jesus Christ, who cares about all of it. So so one of the Jesus jukes we had up. recently, and, and this is, a, I think, exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I had posted, uh, obviously, it's from First Peter. Um, but you know, ladies call your husband, Lord. And people are like, I have one Lord. He is the Lord <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, how is he the Lord of Lords then? That's really confusing that how he could be that confusing. Like GM King and people are like, there's only one King and it's the King of ages. So Brian, are you arguing in your insanity over there? Are you actually arguing that, that monuments and cathedrals actually matter? 
Of course they matter. Like what we're saying in the things that we build is we're, it's a language. We're communicating in stone and stained glass, things that we think are true. For example, we're saying by building a cathedral, even a church like the one that we are in now, we're saying Christians believe in transcendent beauty. They intend to be here for a really long time. And they actually think that uh, the world God made was good and that there is such thing as beauty and ugliness and that those things as you behold and contemplate them will either shape you into an ugly soul or a beautiful soul. So we have this pietistic uh, Christian instinct that is like, let's reduce everything down to its heavenly ultimate. But the the Lord's Prayer immediately teaches us not to do that. It teaches us that we pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in the earthly things, that we would orient earthly things to their heavenly realities and heavenly good. I mean, don't you know that heaven looks like Dallas, though? <laughs> Strip malls it's... all the way down. Our we number one listener so city is Dallas, and we keep dunking on them. Guys, just simply build you, a Dennis. more beautiful city. I know you didn't do it. Good restaurants in ugly buildings. But please, Dallas. please, I am begging you. Somebody buy something ugly and knock it down and build something beautiful. And the funny thing is that when you build ugly things cheaply, it ends up being more expensive in the long haul because you have to keep knocking it down. It keeps destroying the souls of people, so they actually want to just utterly destroy it and build something in its place. So Christians are always speaking in our architecture and our art and how we live our lives, how we garden and how we you know, have courtyards around our churches and beautiful graveyards and uh, mausoleums and all. Like, of course you can idolize those things. Yeah. But you don't you don't destroy idolatry by destroying the object of your idolatry, if it to the degree that it is a good thing that God created. Yeah. You don't destroy man's tendency to worship the woman by destroying the woman. I mean, the thing is, in the passage, or making the woman fat and ugly. Yeah. In the passage that we that we read from Joshua, it's full of signs and symbols. I mean, this is just the way God operates. God says to do it. Mm -hmm. He says, build a monument. And by the way, what was the monument representing? The Ark of the Covenant passing over the waters or through the waters. The Ark of the Covenant. Does God need the Ark of the Covenant? Like, no. No. Obviously not. Does God need what the Ark of the Covenant contained? He doesn't need anything. No. I mean, it's a sign and a symbol so that you remember and that it's tied to truth. Mm -hmm. And that's why something like a cathedral or a church building, stained glass, like you said, all of these... These symbols, you know, actually matter because they yeah. remind you of the promises of God yeah. and of the great works that God has done. And yeah, and, and, and what people want to do, they want to continually be like, well, those were built through the sale of indulgences and slaves. So are you saying you're for those things? And I'm like, no, tell me where I lose you. I'd like to build cathedrals without selling indulgences or enslaving anyone. Well, just to I mean, do would it. it get us a cathedral faster? And to pay <laughs> Just to pay for it. You know, like actually you can do the one thing without the, it's like saying, you know, people that, uh, people that uh, enslaved people lived in houses. Why are you building houses? And I'm like, you're just not thinking clearly. You're just revealing that you're a low tier intellect who who can't think in clear categories. If you talk like that. That was really insulting. Well, it should be like these people should be ashamed (laughs) of themselves. (laughs) No, I'm a, I'm a side note. Why is everybody always mad at Eric when every episode of the King's Hall I basically insult like a hundred thousand people, literally every. Ep- I am. I'm actually like, I'm kind of disappointed. I know it's because <sighs> of the curls on your mustache. 
People are like, oh, that was really me. But he's got a curly mustache. <sighs> I'm shaving it. That's it. That's No, please don't. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Exaggerate the curls. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. JJ, Chase Davis, the other day, he was like, uh, he asked for a, a, a picture for, because I went on his podcast, like to help promote it or whatever. And he's like, by the way, you're the only person I know in the world that curls your mustache like that that's not woke and gay. <laughs> and I was like, bro, it's called, that's I, that's it's called, it's disarming. It's called colonization. We're, re, we're, <laughs> we're reclaiming the mustache I from think, the wokes. And I, the I think the curl mustache is too far gone to recover at this point. But uh, anyway, no, you know what? On. You just don't Honestly, have the eyes of faith, Dan. I also <laughs> look terrible with a curl mustache. You would look so good. LARPing. That's no, you're a Viking. Doing. You can't do it. I'm can't French. I had thought of braiding my beard. Actually, yeah, I bought beard ties and things like that. I would look and, uh, and so dumb. I'm just not confident enough to do that. But I, I hope for a day when you are confident enough. Also looks really funny in like a jacket, you know, uh, a blazer, having a I I beard, hope for the beard. day yeah. when Daniel Burkholder has the confidence to braid his beard in public. Wow. I'm on record. This was not in the notes, but it's beautiful. Actually, this was all in the notes. This Eric wrote all this all in. in. This was actually We're just a reading a script. <laughs> this was a script. Uh, Brian, I, I wonder if you would walk us through uh, just reading the next section. I want to tie this together with the Magisterial Reformation. Mm -hmm. And because the last thing I want to talk about today is it's going to take a certain kind of person to carry out this work of Christendom. A lot of times when we look at church history— it's guys like Ambrose. It's mm -hmm. guys like, you know, that are maybe offending people. God forbid, right? Yeah. These are guys who are not the cookie cutter Matt Chandler nice guy who's afraid to step on toes and wants to, you know, play nice with the current right. culture. So if you would just do me the honor. I got you. Well, it really takes us back to the beginning of the 16th century when God began to raise up a series of strong-willed figures that we now call the reformers, Eric. Mm, based. There had been earlier reformers in the church, but those came to prominence in this period uh, were the best educated, the most godly, and the most faithful reform leaders the church had ever seen. These men were steeped in scripture. They were marked by audacious courage in the face of opposition. They were emboldened by deep convictions as to the truth and a love for Christ's church that drove them to attempt to bring it back to its timeless standard. In the simplest terms, they longed to see God's people worship him according to scripture. These men were shining lights in a dark day. Some of them literally lit on fire saying, I hope that my burning body is a candle that illuminates such a, a light in England as to never be put out. The reformers did not see themselves as inventors, discoverers, or creators, historian Stephen Nichols tells us. Instead, they saw their efforts as rediscovery. They weren't making something from scratch. They were reviving something that had become dead or dying. They looked back to the Bible. They looked back to the apostolic era, as well as the early church fathers, such as Augustine in the fourth and fifth century, uh, for the mold by which they could shape the church and reform it. The reformers had a saying, Ecclesia Reformata, Semper Reformanda, uh, meaning the church reformed, always reforming. The magisterial reformers are so-called because their reform efforts were supported by at least some ruling authorities or magistrates, and because they believe the civil magistrates ought to enforce the true faith. So this term is used to distinguish them from the radical reformers, the Anabaptists, whose efforts had no magisterial support. 
The reformers are also called magisterial because the word magister can mean teacher, and the magisterial reformation strongly emphasized the authority of teachers. Okay, Brian, first of all, based. Based. I, like I thought you guys. were going to read the whole thing like you were discussing Like I it. was just coming up with I was it really, Yeah, I was but, really impressed. Dan, it's called like... Um, it's called just segueing naturally. I learned it from Eric Kahn. Segway naturally. Speaking, Speaking of, of the segue, reformers, yeah. tamales. <laughs> I'm just, right. just kidding. I love it. Um, so, yes, but lunch. Seriously, Ben. So, Dan, um, there are often problems that we have with reading the reformers. We've talked about this, some of the LARPing uh, that can happen. But I want to point specifically to the magisterial reformers. And perhaps why they were so effective. It says, from what Brian just walked us through, these men were steeped in scripture and marked by audacious courage in the face of opposition. Maybe they were men like Charles Martel, whose name means the hammer. Mm. I mean, Tours, come on, Brian, your French the people. The Battle of Tours. French people represent. Represent. Not French Canadian. Anybody but real says French, French Canadian, I am going. I'm hey, by the way, I love how we all love colonialism. Until it gets to Canada from France, okay? Uh, but they're just so... Uh, Canada. Look, I know that we've fallen far, but which of our great races have not? Which great races of men have not fallen far? Yeah, that's far? really true. Eric, we need to reclaim them. And stop spitting on them and stamping the French people into the dirt and instead reclaim the glory of Charlemagne. So I totally agree. One of the interesting things is the other day <laughs> I was talking to Brian's kid. And he was like, well, you know, our family is French. He was telling the other boys. And I said, actually, um, you guys are French-Canadian. And he was like, are we really? We're really not even. French-Canadian <laughs> is the best part And then of I, the told, I did tell you him. I was like, you told me this. <laughs> I no, 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 didn't no. invent it. You said that there you. was one of the, the, the king's prostitutes that was sent <laughs> okay, to Canada. Les filles du roi. The daughters to, of the king yes. were French women that came and helped to colonize helped. in Canada. Helped. But then my people immigrated into America, which is just, that's how immigrants work. We move around. But our motherland is France. <laughs> well. Okay? It's France. It's the Frankish people. It is, I'm probably descended I, from Charlemagne. Like, I'm just, it's likely. <laughs> <laughs> it's likely. I'm actually the great grandson of Charlemagne. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to say that. Charlemagne is my cousin. He's okay? my cousin. <laughs> so, speaking of great men, uh, gentlemen, I, I want to tie things up with a nice bow here. It, again, it's going to take somebody with audacious courage to do this work. Obviously, you're going to have sand blots. Yeah. We have found this, Brian. You go on Twitter, you say normal Westminsterian things, mm -hmm. and people are like, what is it with you and your hot takes? Quoting, <laughs> quoting William Googe. Oh, good night. Yeah. Your, your, your tweet recently, it was just like an exposition of Genesis 2 and the marriage ceremony. Right. For, you know, God, Adam, and Eve. Yeah. Saying mm -hmm. parents stand in the way, in, in the position of God in a marriage ceremony. Like, that's obvious. It's and obvious it's normal. exploded. They lost their ever-loving minds. But if you were a soft guy, mm -hmm. if, you, if you were the guy who couldn't take criticism, I don't think you're going to be leading this work of reformation. So again, just what kind of guy is it going to take? Obviously, uh, guys like us, okay? <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric's been building I mean, up the whole episode. In all humility. <laughs> no. It's no. me. No, but yeah. it's, it's me. I mean. <laughs> I'm serious, but like. We, you do want to be in. Unironically, this is, we've, we've been taught that there's a false kind of humility that is, that is true virtue when it's actually a, a damnable uh, vice. And it is 
being too humble to want to be like the great heroes. Yeah. You should you should absolutely want to be the good guy in the story, to be like them, to imitate them, and to walk in their footsteps. And so, of course, you don't want to be the kind of like egomaniac that's like, I basically am as cool as Charlemagne today. But you should be be saying, I'm going to try to be a good king in my domain. Well, don't you think, Brian, like the number of times... No king I've... but Christ. <laughs> Get you out. know what? I think there's a G3 podcast that you might be gifted to start. <laughs> uh, Brian, one of the things I notice a lot with you, though. Co-hosted pro- by Jolly Roll. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow. You're going to have to bleep that out, Ray. <laughs> Leave it in. Um, one of the things, Brian, that is interesting, though, is uh, I've seen the criticism fly toward you a lot, which is, you know, you're going out there and you're saying things with conviction. Mm-hmm. Like you actually think they're true and people are like, no, 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 you need to come out and you need to be like, well, you know, let's have a moratorium on making a declaration here. Mm-hmm. But why is like we have to resist that temptation, correct? <laughs> yes. Like, of course, I, I always love it because I'm like, oh, and you're very confident that I'm being proud in being confident that I'm correct about this thing. Or like and and you are very confident that I'm wrong and that we should do what you think is right. Like it's inescapable that you're going to have confidence somewhere down the line, even if you're like, I'm – I'm confident only of this, that I don't know anything and I'm an idiot. And then I'm like, well, why are you speaking to any issue at all if you're so confident that you're such a dummy? It's like you must have conviction and you must live by those convictions. It's inescapable. It's a not whether but which issue. You're going to have convictions. Make sure they're good ones and then full send. Full send. Stop being a coward who's pretending to be humble by by play acting at being a kind of guy who has no firm convictions in his mind. Nobody's buying it. Nobody actually thinks you're humble. We're just annoyed. Now, some people do think they're some people do, but the rest of us are just annoyed. So, Dan, this principle, uh, a lot of men have said it. I think Doug Wilson is one of the places I heard this, but he said you can't love your enemies if you never make any. And uh, you know, Churchill has said that if if you're fighting for good causes, you're always going to have enemies. So, why do you, if you're going to be a reformer, if you're going to be a cathedral builder, why do you need to be comfortable as being the kind of man who has real enemies who hate him? Well, I mean, just the principled man in general is going to have people that hate them because the, I mean, one of the principles of being principled is that you're immovable on your principles. That was mm-hmm. a lot of principles. Mm-hmm. But if you know something is right, you're immovable. People, you're not going to bow to the whims of the crowd or the mob or whatever ideology, the zeitgeist of the time. And so people are naturally going to hate you. And so if you don't have enemies, if you don't have people that dislike you, maybe you're not a principled guy. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 Beautiful. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Guys, we've learned about history. Yeah. We're teeing up for season three. We're wrapping things down now. Yeah. Uh, I do want to give a few plugs. If you're not yet on Patreon, please go there. You're going to have lots of exclusive content, not only this week, but in the future with the King's Hall After Hours. Dan, we're going to have a lot of – not everything is going to fit in a main episode. No. There's no, going to be not even close. so much that is going to be put behind a paywall for you, dear listener, who's a supporter of this show – one of our kings, so we encourage you to check that out. You can sign up for as little as five dollars a month. And uh, Brian, I, I want to. Uh, you're you're you play a flute. Uh, what's the? Um, I actually don't play a flute. You're a flautist. Um, be, you have yeah. a flautist album coming uh, out. Did no, this is actually all incorrect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everything. Flute. Everything you just said. <laughs> yeah, all untrue. Uh, but there are some I exciting music in, things that people true. can. Yeah. For the record, I'm incapable of making a sound on a flute, a real flute. I can't do it. 
like the his whole his brother blowing. was first chair flautist. My brother's a very good flautist. What? I'm not yeah. I'm not making that up. And he has one, obviously. So I've tried. I literally cannot do the thing where you blow across the hole and make the sound. It's it's like a three year old trying to do it. It's actually embarrassing. Interesting. Not so embarrassing. You, you do have music. I do have some music. Yeah, I got a three song uh, acoustic EP, Christmas EP, two great hymns: "Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence," "Joy to the World," and then Psalm one twenty four, a setting of that uh, included as well. This is like real organic stuff. I recorded most of it in one take with a single mic, just sitting in front of me playing the song. So it's much less produced. I did all of it myself, mix mastered everything myself. Um, also By had, organic, he means drum circle. Like drum circle. <laughs> uh, Emily Heimstra came back, played viola on Joy to the World. I played harmonica on Psalm 124. And guys, I think we can all agree that it is easily your favorite musical moment of all time. Uh, that, right? Uh, I would have to listen to it. Ray, can you put in like know. cheers and edit in like a whole roaring crowd just right there when I, I actually, said that? Brian charges me for his music, so. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. You're still a patron of Brian Sylvain? <laughs> yes, Eric I, is a makes, patron. Well, this I makes, just, no makes no sense anymore. I feel like it would be really awkward to unsubscribe. <laughs> oh, I used to be yeah. a patron of Hard Men. Yeah, you did. And oh, I canceled man. them. And I still hey. remember. You know why? Because I'm like, on 60% of your after hours. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Why would I hey, pay to listen to myself? Yeah. But you know what? Well, maybe For, maybe in all seriousness, guys, go share Hearth songs, or if you like the music, go share it. Because you wouldn't believe, like, 13,000 people have hit the follow button on Spotify. Only 30% of those people have even listened to my Hearth songs album yet. Really? So you think, like, when you're on Twitter that everybody's heard it. Most people haven't. So share it with your friends if you like the music. Share this podcast with your friends. If you like the stuff that we're putting out, red pill them. Or if Drop you hate it, it share or it. Or if you hate it, share it. Dunk on us, guys. Yeah, make a yeah, whole YouTube yeah, yeah. channel. I'm looking at you, Dini Lentil Beanie. Just, I mean, get out there and make some dumb responses to our content that make no sense and make you look unintelligent. And after, you would appreciate it if you would do that. After you listen to Hearth songs, you got to check out Le Chant de Templier. Is that French? It's the way you said it sure sounded French. Okay, well, it is, because it's the chant of the Knights Templars. We listen to this in our house. Bro, yes. And it is based. Yes, that's, we're going to have to include that. Yes, in absolutely. Season three. Absolutely. Uh, we want to encourage everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Also, Festinolente, make haste slowly. And until next time, stay frosty and also listen to the Hardman podcast. <laughs> Kings all out. Kings all out.